How can you be part of a religious community that straight up Sometimes it feels like the church is trying to hold The church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to give answers, I would never be a part of a church that's not welcoming The church is the most vocal political voice against immigration. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually it seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good anti-critical they are being homophobic too narrow judgmental disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world <sighs> the church needs therapy welcome to the newest episode of the church needs therapy and today, our very, very special guest, he gets two of them, is Scott Erickson. <laughs> and Scott is a touring painter, a performance artist, and a creative curator who makes his autobiography, aesthetics, and comedic narrative to create experiences that speak to our deepest stories. That is, sometimes it's just, even reading that, one, those kinds of descriptions, because like, I, let's say I have my own versions of that for myself, they yeah. make sense. Like they yeah. really do. Yeah. But at the same time, you're like the audacity of <laughs> us to say things like that. E- even if it's accurate, it's a beautiful, accurate description, but the audacity <laughs> of people like us to say that is amazing. Because I have my own versions of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's also true. You know, that's the amazing thing. It's just, it's also yeah. true. So anyways, that's yeah. awesome. Scott is currently touring his one-man show, Say Yes, a liturgy of not giving up on yourself. And in this, in this experience, he juxtaposes story, teaching, participation, humor, and image curation, and walks us through the very personal and universal connection about the death of a dream and the overwhelming voice of giving up in our lives, which I really want to get into today. He's the co-author of Prayer, 40 Days of Practice, and May It Be So, the author of Honest Advent, and has a new book coming out from the day we record this, two weeks from today, January 25th, his book called Saying Yes. Scott lives in Austin, Texas, and is most loved by his wife, Holly, and his children, Anders, is that right? Uh, Anders. Anders. You know, I'm, I'm like, Workaholics is like one of my favorite shows ever. Yeah. Do you know those guys? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the only reason I would think yeah, that yeah. pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Totally. Elsa and Jones. Um, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us in the listening community today and to take time for me personally. So, yeah, yeah man, you're welcome. Thank you, man. This is great. It's great. That's great. I, it's so, I think that's so funny when you're talking about the intros. There was a time, like, if you, if you get an email from me, at, or and it's even on my, like, Instagram handle, and it says, <laughs> curator of awesomeness and uh that's something i made up after i'd been laid off off of my job at a design agency because i i got laid off at this design agency in portland and then i was like emailing somebody i was like well what what do i put at the bottom of my email like and uh (laughs) i just made up like curator of awesomeness i wanted to sound something like official but hilarious and then it's just stuck. Like I've been introduced that way. And, and I actually think that it's, it was surprisingly intuitive uh, the way I answered it because curator is, you know, when we think about like an art gallery, think about a curator, it's like, what are the things you're putting together to tell a story? And actually curator comes from an older word called curate, which was another word for a priest in a, in a community. So the curate was there who was, uh, ushering in the rituals of birth and death and marriage and separation and all this kind of stuff. And they were also um, aware of the cycles that were happening in life, like the seasons and the stars and the moon and all this kind of stuff. And so they were paying, att- they were paying attention is what they were doing. And then awesomeness is like wonder and being alive and, and you know, finding yourself in unexpected places. And so I was like, yeah, that's kind of what I do. I kind of like yeah. paying attention to the unknown, fostering and storytelling things that are waking you up. Curator of Awesomeness sounds like a great title. So I'm just going to keep yeah. it. No, that's what I'm saying though. They're like, 
you're like I you're like you can say it and be like it's ironic and I know I'm being kind of silly with it but it's also accurate and yeah and also it just communicates right when you got laid off from that job you're like well of course they're gonna get rid of me one agency can't handle a curator uh, <laughs> I'm too much for him so <laughs> they can't handle this awesomeness yeah I get you know, it I, yeah so <laughs> you know so I if you could begin I'll do this with people you know you know, with that idea of like the medium is the message, you know, I think that's true for our lives in many ways too. You know, there's the things we say and there's who we are. There's the stories we tell and the story we actually live. And, you know, the life is the message in many ways. That's why you can be greatly disappointed when you meet people who you've looked up to for a long time and being blown away by people you yeah. never expected because of the gravity their actual life holds. And, you know, if you could introduce yourself to the people a bit more personally, like, and because I don't know this either, you know, when you say in your 20s, you learn to surf in my head, I'm like, where is that at? So <laughs> yeah. zoom out a little bit. What are some of the bigger picture movements in your life when it comes to even specifically your relationship with the, with the church, your relationship with God that kind of help us make sense? You know, people like I grew up oh, in yeah. college and what are some of those bigger picture movements? Yeah. So I grew up in uh, Seattle. Um, during all the grunge, during the Nirvana and uh, Pearl Jam and all that stuff. And uh, so a very, like, it's uh, Seattle, you know, it's tucked up in there. It's like up in the mountains in the woods. It's kind of, <laughs> you're talking to us from Hawaii. You know, like there's this kind of, Dave, uh, Dave Grohl had a great, where he's just like, if you look at a map of like the 48 states and you were thinking of like a touring band, you know, most people never decided to drive 800 miles out of the way to visit Seattle. So it became this very like insular place where a lot of stuff was happening until also, like, if you're, your, if you're in your early twenties, you can Google Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl. I mean, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, that, that, that's what's funny about references now. Cause I'm 37 yeah. and I'll say things and I'd be like, if you're 21, what? come on, Dave Grohl's like a troubadour. Know I know, know Foo Fighters. I, I think that about my own references though. Dave funny. Grohl, lead frontman of the Foo Fighters who used to be the drummer for Nirvana. Yeah, it's great. But it, it's it, anyways, it uh, was a wild place and also uh, a very spiritually interesting place. Um, <clears throat> But I grew up in uh, a small Lutheran church, and uh, yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed the church I was a part of growing up. My parents are still part of that church. Had a great time in youth group and all that stuff. Uh, ended up going to college, uh, community college, and then a state college up by the Canadian border. Was uh, there and kind of involved with this really robust college ministry. I mean, at the time, and this is crazy, like 1999, 2000, this college ministry would have like 1500 people that would come this to is it. When like college ministries, young adults, yeah. and just like, this is before anything like Hillsong or these big churches had their thing. It was like <coughs> parachurch conferences had their own thing. And, um, I was a part of that, had a deep desire. I just was like, I want to go travel and I want to go to Bible school. So I ended up after college, and working at college, uh, the college ministry. Then I went to, I lived overseas in, in Europe and England, and I went to a small Bible school over there and then would travel a lot. And then I found myself in my mid 20s back in Seattle, broke, unemployed, got a job waiting tables, got a job substitute teaching, became a high school teacher, which is my degree in. And then in my late, and then was involved with, like, I, it, I guess I was involved. Uh, Look, I didn't come out of any kind of charismatic movement or anything like that, but what the Holy Spirit taught me over time was how to become like a live painter. I don't do that as much anymore, but like for a long time, that's what I did a lot where I would, I receive images and I make them in, while things are happening and uh, did that at a small communities, uh, really sensed this call to try to pursue being an artist, got married at the time. My wife was my sugar mama. Uh, started pursuing being an artist, it ended up getting into like uh, getting noticed and being invited to a bunch of like conference. I did, ended up doing like a lot of church conferences and churches and I would be the live painter at that. Um, then uh, I got offered a job in Houston, Texas, working at a church as the artist in residence at a church called Ecclesia. And we moved down there and I worked there for three years, kind of leading a community through creative 
practice as spiritual formation and did a lot of stuff there that really formed kind of my own like visual vocabulary for spirituality. Um, and left there in my mid thirties, I was pretty burned out. Uh, went and we came back to the Northwest. I worked for world vision for a while, just doing college things, but then got offered a job at this design agency in Portland, moved to Portland, uh, <laughs> became laid off seven months later because of their own financial problems. And, uh, was involved with a church called Imago Day there, being like an artist in residence again. And then, uh, yeah, about a year later, just kind of had this moment where I was like, I think I'm still called to be an artist. And um, not as just like a person, but as like a vocation, which was complicated because I was like, I don't know how to make that much money as an artist to take care of a family. But it was a process that God led me through. And I think... Um, to, to our conversation, um, you know, I found my place, I found myself in the place of obscurity, which is obscurity is where nobody's watching you. And uh, I had like my studio, I lost, I lost my studio in Portland and this, my friends of mine ran this church, small little church, and they gave me a space in the basement. I built out this little studio. There's no windows down there. They kept the trash down there once a week. And it was very unglamorous, but it was a space to work. And uh, in obscurity, the question that comes to you is, well, what do you want to talk about? Like, what, what do you want to talk about, Scott? Not, hey, what's the leader of this church talking about? Or what's this person, what's this community talking It's like, what do you want to talk about? And as I sat in that basement and I asked myself that question, I said, I want to talk about God, but I really don't like how most of the American church talks about God. It makes no sense to me. So I want to talk about God in a way that makes sense to me. Uh, I want to, I want to make art about that. And most of the art I've seen is not great. And I want to make something that feels like it's alive and it's poignant to the, the world we live in and the faith I have. And then I didn't have the language for this then, but I I would say I want to make weird liturgies, meaning I want to make these experiences that are transformational, but on topics that the church is afraid to touch for a number of reasons. So like my shows, like my show say yes, which is a long conversation, which maybe we'll have, but like I wanted to make a church service about suicide because I'd never been to one. And I knew that if I was going to make a church service about suicide, I knew it couldn't be so boring that you'd want to kill yourself during the service, you know, and, and that kind of joke there. Oh, a show about killing yourself that doesn't make you. No, crazy. like I'm always amazed how adults have the amazing capacity to make something so boring. And like how many church services have you been to? You're like, this is the most boring thing I've ever been to. Why is the good news so boring? How are people, how have people taken all this exciting stuff and just made it the most drab, boring thing to sit through. And I could imagine a church service about suicide that was so drab and boring. You're like, I actually want to kill myself at this <laughs> event. And that was the joke. So I was like, it has to involve humor and storytelling. It's got to be like a comedy, musical, art show experience. It's got to be something made for people with ADHD, which is a lot of my work. So that's, that's how I approached it. But like, um, it, it is that like, it feels like there's unwritten things. Like we talk about these things in community and we don't talk about these things. And I'm like, I, I don't, I want a faith conversation that feels like it's actually about a real human life, not an imagined human life. And that, that, and that's just my own compass on the kind of work that I want to do in the world. So uh, no, that's, that's great. I appreciate that. That was, that was the like, yeah, quickest, life work church summary i could think of it's so well those stories are so fascinating even for me as a person who didn't grow up in the church like yeah i, I get those now because i went i ended up you know my wife and i moved here to hawaii at 18 she graduated i went to a bible college in california to graduate and that was my first real introduction to like this is a lot of christians yeah <laughs> and, and yeah and, yeah where was that at? Where was that at? That was a school called Life Pacific College in San Dimas in California. It's a four school. Okay. School. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So I was there for three years after my wife finished U UH, and then we both went to grad school in California. And 
you know, I, you know, I have a friend, like my best friend, Livy, I always talk about him, shout out Liv, if you're listening in, but he, you know, he's like conservative Christian. Like we go to a small Christian school, we raise like an American flag to ask yeah. questions or whatever. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm just as fascinated, if not more fascinated by those kinds of stories than people who know me where it's like, we're, you know, eating mushrooms when we're kids and we're doing this because they're yeah. just unique. It's so different from my own. And yeah. I've learned so much about the church and people's experiences and the landscape of churches and parachurch and all that. So mm-hmm. they're just amazing stories for me of like the, the unique paths people take to where yeah. they are regardless. And they're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's a great question. Why is the good news so boring? Uh, well why do we make it so boring why, exactly yeah. why, why does it feel like that why is it presented like that why is it communicated like that and you know Stanley do you have an answer I have an answer do you have an answer he I would like to hear yours <laughs> they, hear, they hear me enough if I just come up with one on the spot but I, let me just say this before you yeah. say that because it'll speak to that you know Stanley Hauerwas says if people like really knew what was happening in the liturgy, they would wear a helmet before they stepped into the church. Uh, that's great. That's you know, great. But go ahead. So here's he asked the question and he has the answer. That's why he's on the podcast. <laughs> he got a new book coming out. Say yes. It's also in there. So go ahead. Yeah. Um, and look, I'm. There are some people who got into this business or whatever because they really like. Uh, <laughs> they really like um, defining Greek words. You know, I, I, I'm not the kind of speaker who you're like, let's do some uh, definition of Hebrew and Greek words. Although I have a strong concordance back here and I can, and we can all Google that. It's not that it's not about the words. It's like, the, here's my opinion. The only reason we're still telling any of these old stories is because they're not just stories that happened back then. They're stories that are happening right now. And if they weren't happening right now, there's no reason to tell them. Although I think that maybe you or those listening have been at a service where somebody's preaching and you're like, what the hell are you even talking about? Like, how does, why, like, I, I'm so, when pe- preachers get in, they're like deep in like the Hebrew lineage and all that stuff. And you're just like, this isn't a class for other seminarians. Like, tell me why you're talking about this. And they never land the plane on that. You're just like, oh my gosh, that just felt so, and sorry for being a little crass, but so masturbatory. You know, like, it just <laughs> is like, you just like loving all your info. I think the real work of being making something good news is going, see this old story, see how it's happening today. It's not life application. It's like, no, 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 no. There are human beings who found themselves in a mysterious world with a mysterious God, and we are in the exact same place. Just different technologies and different things, different situations, but it's still happening today. And then, uh, so there's that. And then also, um, this, this makes me giggle all the time, just because it's great. Uh, everything is invented. There, there is no, maybe like baptism and some other things. There's nothing that we have to do. There is, so when we look at church, it's like, you don't have to do any of that. You don't have to sing. You don't have to preach. You don't, you don't have to, you don't have to pass the tithing table plates. You don't have to do anything. It's all invented. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm saying it's all invented. The reason why we do certain things is from the beginning of human history, there are activities that transform us. When somebody gets up and says, I have a story to tell, and they tell their story, they're witness to something, it does something to us. When people join together and they sing songs, it does something to us. When people share their resources, whether financially or also just the gifts that they have, and then offer that to others, it does something to us. When somebody, uh, when somebody, um, provides a space to release shame through solidarity and confession, it transforms us. So since the beginning of human existence, there are elements that transform us. That's what a liturgy is. It's the elements of transformation. Now, what happens in communities is they get obsessed with the mechanics instead of what the mechanics leads you to. There's the mechanics that leads you to the essence. It's the essence that we want, not the mechanics, but communities get obsessed with the mechanics and then never adapt 
the way that society, culture, human beings are changing. So you'll go to these things and you'll be like, this feels really old. We're not saying, because there's a bunch of senior citizens there, what we're saying is like culture and communication are constantly changing and your mechanics to get to the essence haven't caught up because you like nostalgia because you like something familiar, which I totally understand. But I hopefully have the wisdom now as I get older, you know, maybe in 20 years where I understand that like, I need to let go and let it, if you don't want your church to die, you got to let a younger generation take it over. (laughs) This is the truth because the mechanics are always going to change. They're always going to, the songs are going to change. The singing might be always the same, but the songs are going to change. The way you tell story and communicate is going to change the way you, you know what I'm saying? All of that is always changing contextually. But it, those were just there to help you get to the essence. So those are my, that's why I yeah. think things become drab is no. people go, they forgot that it's a story that's still happening today and they haven't kept, you know, they've just, uh, they've just offered nostalgia versus like updated mechanics. Yes, that, that is a, those are great answers. And the, the conversation about mechanics and essence or, or circumference and center and edges and that's an essence and, yeah that is such an important conversation that's why for me i'm like the mystic is the one who does all the rituals for others with the wing ah, like, I, oh, i'm wing. gonna give you i'm because because my wife and i are church planners like we co- yeah. we started a church out here you know about like nine years almost nine years ago yeah and it's like i am more than happy to do all these rituals for people knowing yeah. they don't actually need them but because at this point at this point and you know and I, you know i think there are probably some residents here but at this point in your journey developmentally i know this ritual is not for god to make a conscious decision as a being to come into your life this ritual is something that forms the right elements aligns your mind heart and body in such a way that you are open for the incoming of the substance that has always been present that is the value of it you know it's like I'm willing to do the ritual, but three, I'll do the ritual. And three years later, I can say to you, Hey, you don't actually have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but three years ago that I'm giving you keys to a gate that doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. There are times when the ritual is what you need. And then there are times when what you need is something else. Yes. It's about paying For attention to, to what say, it doesn't, that doesn't matter. It's yeah. none of it's like that radical contingency. When you say everything's invented, yeah. The contingency, the fragility, the human, the like, this isn't magic after all of that, but also opens up a whole new kind of wonder, at least for me, that's so scary because everything just feels so created and invented and earthy, but it is. Yeah. And that is a part of the power of it is it's human beings coming up with a liturgy totally. of saying yes to do the things to get the substance. What is a toast at a wedding? It's something that's invented. There was no cosmic, like, if you ever decide to commit yourself to somebody else, somebody has to say something at that, ser- you know, there's no, there's no command to do that. Not what is, three, yeah, yeah. what is a toast at a wedding? A toast at a wedding is a moment to express love and hope and dreams from like a, hopefully like an elder or a friend as you are going to go continue down a path together that is unknown and really hard and wonderful. It's like a way, it's just like taking the time to express what's inside. That's, it's invented, but it's helpful and loving and transformational. That's why, yeah, when we say it's all invented, it doesn't mean it's not true. It just means like we, we're always inventing. Therefore, we can invent whatever we want. Like, now, it doesn't mean it'll work. <laughs> but that's the other thing. So why we keep, and I understand like there are things that we keep doing because they work and like, I'm all for, uh, you know, having a lectionary that some churches use, which is like the same thing every three years because, and there's a lot of people who have like the book of common prayer or these lecture, you know, these liturgies, because sometimes you don't need to reinvent the wheel. In fact, like sometimes there are times in your life where you don't have all the words to say. So it's helpful to have somebody else's words who figured it out. You don't have to make up a song every service because somebody took the time to make up one and you can do it. it everybody, everybody understands. We don't have to get into this more. We all get it. It's like, oh, yeah. but, but it was really freeing for me to go in my work. I'm like, 
well, I can make up the serve, like the ceremony I want to go to. I want to make up, I want to make up a ceremony that involves comedy and weird stuff and surprises and art making and karaoke and a lot of laughter and some really honest conversations. Like, because that's, yeah, because so it's good. all invented. And I think that's what's transformational. And that's, yeah, that's no, the, the idea of things being invented. It's, it's to me, that's not, doesn't have to feel scary. It's no. really empowering and liberating yeah. Of yeah. What, you know, to create that. And why not? What's wrong with it? You know, that's what we've been doing because the story's still happening, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about, you know, you look at Say Yes and the uniqueness, and you mentioned a little bit, you know, of creating the kind of liturgy you, you want to experience or that you think does justice to the, the power, the substance, the essence of what's happening. But what are some of those, you know how as an artist or as a creator, you will see something else, could be a film, could be a book, could be whatever, yeah. and it will hit you and influence you. And even though it's not like a one-to-one, I'm going to do what they do, somehow that informs this, right? Yeah, the idea absolutely. That they did that opened up a horizon for me to do this, even though yep. I'm not doing what they're doing. They opened up this like vista of like, oh, but I can do all that. And they helped me do that. Yeah. So, and I, I think I've seen you write or say somewhere how when you saw like the, the thing that Rob and Pete did together, you're like, okay, this is a thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like when I hear that, I think of reading Peter Rollins, like 11, you know, Peter Rollins is like the Irish. Yeah, totally okay. do. Yeah. Like, you know, in his book, his first one in the U S or it might've been his first one, how not to speak of God. He does his like transformance art. And here's these practices we would do, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think about that, you know, when you're talking about this too and reading that a long time ago. But what are some of those expected or unexpected, that like cloud of creative things that informed or influenced your like, say yes, this honest, fun, this art. Yeah. You know, like what are some of those influences? Cause it is such a unique thing to want to create a liturgy that has that unique movement. Yeah. That's, that's a great question. Um, and nobody asks me that because it's, it is true. It's like pinpointing things like, Oh yeah. Like that. The Robin P thing, <laughs> Rob Bell and Pete Holmes, a pastor and a comedian, they're friends. And they were like, we actually have a lot more in common on our spirituality than we have uncommon. So let's talk about the commonalities. But yeah, I was sitting in this theater in Portland and I was watching, you know, Rob Pete do his basically dick jokes as a comedian. And then Rob doing his like, everything is spiritual, you know, his thing. <laughs> and I was like, wow. And in sitting in the audience with all these people, I was like, this is actually what real life feels like. Real life feels like these kind of sacred moments and dick jokes at the same time. And this is a, this is a line at the beginning of my show where I, and I, I say that I'm like being here is life is like a mixture of sacred moments and dick jokes. And, but we, and I say, but what, when we go to the comedy club, you can't be too sacred. Cause they're like, Hey, that's not the spot. And when we go to this, we can't go to the sacred place and be too crass and we contextualize those things. And I understand why. And I respect those contextualizations. I really do. I just think when we're either one, we're like, yeah, but this isn't all of me. I'm actually a lot more than just this space. And personally, I'm convicted that I just, I don't think the goal of your spiritual Christian journey is to become a better person. I think the goal of your spiritual journey is to become a whole person. And, um, yeah, so in order to have a conversation about being here and suicide and not giving up on ourselves and accepting the gift of our, the miracle, we have to have a whole conversation about the, the crass and the sacred parts of us is that, and that's kind of it. I, um, other people, I've learned a lot from comedians and storytelling, um, there was a time when I worked at this design agency that I was laid off from. I was like a nobody, not a nobody, but I was like the lowest person on the totem pole. So I just, I had like two screens and I spent a lot of time doing web stuff, but like I would watch comedy specials on my other screen. And I was like giving myself a master course in writing. I just like, I was like taking notes. I was like, look what they're doing. They're doing this, this, and they're breaking off, going this story, coming back, using this tangent to come here. Oh, it's callbacks, tying in this whole thing into a whole narrative. And then I, there's this guy named Sam and Simon Amstel. He's a pretty famous British comic. Um, he has a show called Numb. 
I can only find it on like a Russian website, but it's a, <laughs> it's a whole special where he starts off, the, he starts off, he comes out in front of the audience and he's like, this whole special came about in a time in my life when I realized I was emotionally numb to everything. And then he goes into this whole jokes and stuff like that, but he ends, he, he basically ends the story by, he goes on this to, to Mexico, goes into the jungle, does an ayahuasca trip with the shaman, meets, meets the great spirit of the forest, talks to this talking snake, has this whole, it's a ridiculous story and we're all laughing, but he's like, but it changed my life and it woke me up and I'm not numb anymore. And my first kind of one man show, although I didn't think of it as like a show, I was just like, here's this thing I'm doing. I tell my, like my mystical, I had, I've had a mystic experience with Jesus and uh, where I, where I, I met the Christ and I saw, he showed me the interconnectedness of everything. And it's a ridiculous story. It's re it's, it's, it, it's utterly ridiculous, but it changed my life. And I was like, Oh wait, this guy had the same, a similar thing and he was able to tell it. I was like, I wonder if I could tell my ridiculous story that changed my life. And I did that. And then, and then I, and then I've seen other people tell their ridiculous experiences and, and then, um, yeah, seeing that and was like, Oh, there's a place to do this. One of my favorite designers named Steven Sagmeister. He just says, if anybody's anybody doing anybody trying to do something honest is interesting. And I think there was a time when you and I were growing up that it felt like sacred and secular was very separate. It's like we go over here to talk about spiritual things and then we go over here to talk about other things. I just don't think that's the case anymore. I think it's, I don't think it, it maybe it never was, but when I, I see, I see the most famous comedians talking about their thoughts on God. I see, uh, I, you know, maybe it's a little more lacking on the Christian speaker side, but I see, I see other spiritual leaders, you know, I, I just see this kind of melding and I, I listen to these storytelling platforms and I hear people talk about their mystical experiences, their divine experiences. I just, I hear it all around. I hear these bands on the radio talking about what does it mean to exist and all this. I was like, it's already woven into everything. I think what is uninteresting to people is maybe a language or a way of storytelling that isn't inviting you. That's exclusionary. I think that's what's uninteresting to people. And so I've worked really hard in what I do to, to use language that feels like anybody can come. Like, in fact, the best, I was doing this, I was doing Say Yes uh, five days in a row at a theater up in Calgary. And afterwards, this guy came up to me and he's like, I came with my daughter. She really likes you. I don't know who you are. <laughs> and I was like, that's <laughs> most people. And um, she, he's like, I'm, I'm not a spiritual person. I'm like an atheist. I don't believe in any kind of God or anything like that. He's like, I just want to let you know, though, I really appreciate how you spoke about everything because I never felt left out even though you had a deeply sacred conversation with all of us and he's like i just wanted to compliment you on that that you're very inviting and and i was that is probably the, one of the single best compliments i've ever gotten because it's it's interesting to me where i'm like how do we take something that's good news and make it sound like bad news <laughs> you know and there's all this there's these weird things that people say we're like well the gospel's offensive and i'm like no you're just a dick um <laughs> the gospel's not offensive you just made it offensive because you said the gospel is the way that i see everything and you have to see everything that i everything the way i see everything that's when it becomes offensive the gospel is that God is already at work in people and our job is not to tell them. I don't know. Our job is to help see that that's already happening. Anyways, that's my, that's my opinion as a spiritual director and other things, but we could get into that, but that, yeah, no. that's, that's, that's the, that's the, it's like, I want to bring this conversation because I know people are already having it. I just want to, I don't, where do, I mean, where do they get to have it? I'm already, you know, familiar with your work to a degree. And I mean, 
you sold me. You made me even more of a, an appreciator and a fan just hearing all that. So I'm assuming for the people, <laughs> for the people yeah. listening in, the moment when, when you find Scott, just even hearing the last 35 minutes or so, and you immediately see Scott on Instagram, Scott the Painter, you can find him on there. Like, it already, you'll see, and it'll be like, all of this will, even that little glimpse on Instagram, you'll feel this even more, just the visual, because with Scott as a visual artist as well. And people using language, like think about religious leaders using language of being a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. Becoming more like Christ, being, you know, being a disciple of Jesus and becoming fully human for me are synonyms. Yeah. Anything that can be said about becoming more like Christ can be said to anybody at any time. So anything, I love it. If, if, if people yeah. can make that connect, like the particular in the, uni- in the universal, and you see how the the con- what I call the concrete and the cosmic, and the relationship between yeah. those, anything a pastor says, and I'm giving pastors credit. I think they have more to say yeah. to people than they realize, especially if they can get over. Well, everything only matters if, it, to the degree to which you believe what I believe in the end. But if you can just say like. If I'm saying, I'm talking about letting go, that's for everybody. We're talking about acceptance, that's for everybody. You're talking about forgiveness, that's, that's not a Christian thing. This is just the human thing, and this is the path I'm using as an open door to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think just that human part and why that guy says that is the care as a curator that you give to doing that in a creative, fun, all these ways, but in a real way that breaks down any barriers between this part of my life and that. And I think it's a huge testament to the, the, the critical thinking, the, the, your own yeah. experience and your own growth that gives you the freedom to be able to speak those, the deepest truths possible in a way yeah. where this girl who goes to youth group or her father who doesn't give a damn who Scott the painter is can have this moment. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 What did you say? I just want to get it. You said being a disciple of Jesus and being a like just being fully human. Being fully human is what, like, synonymous. Preach. I'm like, I, I couldn't moment, agree more. In any moment, you can be like, well, to become more like Christ, or or say to be more of a disciple of Jesus, say to be formed. However, a pastor wants to say that, and just becoming human. It's, it's those are interchangeable for me. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, when we said becoming a disciple of being more like Jesus, people mean. <laughs> They have, I don't even know, they go, uh, I mean, we'd have to ask everybody, this is just my projection, but, you know, there was a time where I said being like, more like Christ meant being a better version of myself, like being a better, like being less icky, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, and we didn't, but never was it like, well, being a fully human that wasn't a part of the conversation. I think that's, I think there's a better theology now about that um, in, in, in some circles, but yeah, it was, I'm not, I'm not interested in progressing. um, And sorry, man, we've, I've had a lot of conversations today, but like, I don't know if I said, I said, I don't think the goal, did I say the goal of your spirituality is not to become a better person, but a a whole person. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, like the goal of your spirituality is also not to try to become unlike yourself your you the goal of your spirituality is to become more like yourself like uh, my friend justin mcroberts and i made a, a couple prayer books and our whole goal was like the goal of your prayer like make a prayer practice that works for you i think when we imagine prayer we're like well i'm not going on a mountainside and i'm not getting on my knees and i'm not folding my hands and putting my head in them it's like we it, and that's the mechanics versus essence thing again but like it's like what what is connecting you do what is connect have a prayer life that feels like it's your life you know not you don't want a spirituality that's not like you now i'm I'm not saying like we don't have to like we can get in ruts and do really destructive things maybe we need to address some of the practices and ways we approach life that is for sure needs to happen but like it shouldn't be like well now i have to become this completely different person to make all this work it should be like this this I'm putting on a coat that feels like it was made for me. And that may cause me to make some changes in my life. I think it's very nuanced and stuff. You get, you get what I'm saying. 
The only thing God wants from you is you. Uh, I like that. that. That's what say yes is. Say yes is many things at the same time, but um, one of those layers is life gets easier when you finally say yes to your incarnation. Uh, The middle of the show, the middle of the book has this uh, image of like a pitcher pouring out into a cup, but the cup's been moved and the water's splashing on the ground. And John, you know, he wrote some books in the Bible, but he, uh, he said that God is love. So love, love wants to pour itself out into us, but we can't receive love if we secretly hate who love made us to be because our existence, who we are, this body, this life, is the only container we've been given to pour love into. And if you're just trying to change it out all the time, it's always going to fall flat. That, that love will never get in there. Um, we live in a massive culture of comparison more than any other human beings ever. And because of our technology and stuff, we can, I think probably everybody's lived in comparison, but we live in a massive culture of comparison. And there's a part of your life where you, you just have to, finally say yes to it and just say, I'm thank, I mean, thank you for making me. Thank you for giving me the chance to be alive. Sure. There's maybe some things I would change, but I want to say yes to this life, this being here. And, uh, that, that is like one of the biggest steps in order to enter into in walking the path of desire that's been putting you to walk is like, you have to say yes to your incarnation, your being here. That's a conversation we all must have. It's like, do I like being here? Do I want to be here? Am I happy that I didn't get any choice? (laughs) You know, like I just appeared one day and I will disappear one day. And neither one of those I get to choose. And that's part of the mystery of existing. But am I okay with the, the appearing? Am I okay with the disappearing? Maybe okay is the wrong word. Can I accept that I appeared? Can I accept that I just dis- I will disappear? Like when I when I don't have a robust afterlife mm-hmm. theology yet. I just I'm more have spent time thinking about what it means to be here. But in the show, I say this. I say, oh, I say it in the book too. But like, what's after this? I don't know. But I experience grace here, and I assume it's there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there there's like a, there's an aspect of, and that really sums it up is like, I wasn't in charge of appearing and I wasn't in charge of disappearing. So I'm, I'm just going to let grace handle what the things that I'm not in charge of. So good. Yeah. I remember <laughs> yeah. like at one point, maybe however many years into the life of imagine, which is the name of our church. Yeah. And we were at, it was like a family dinner. Let's say it was like 15, 20 people there. And there's an, there's an older cup and, there's an older couple who, you know, like boomers, like early sixties at the time. And amazing story. Like, you know, had, hadn't been to church in 40 years, you know, their daughters, you know, sang. So they came and they ended up being like the most beloved people in the church, like baptized, just this amazing story. The guy was one of the original lifeguards at Waimea Bay, like legendary guy. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 And they were, they were hosting, they used to have these family dinners at their house and we were all sitting around a table, you know, people having drinks, eating. And I don't remember what was happening in the conversation, but he said, and you know, think about this guy, he's like virtually no experience in the church, right? Yeah. Doesn't care. We'll say anything. We were, we, you know, we're close at the time. And he was like, man, here it's like hell doesn't even exist. I remember him saying that. And it, it, it's all like just hell. Like how he thinks church is like, I'm saving you from hell. Like this is yeah. going here. And I, it's funny in those moments as a pastor, when people say certain things or yeah. allow themselves to embrace their own incarnation where they can be exactly where they are, which has always been a strength of our church. I can feel in certain moments, my ego will contract for a sec because I imagine what other leaders who I think lead in more conventional ways than me might, how they would respond if they heard people saying or doing certain things like, Oh, they yeah. don't like this. But then I also, after I feel that contraction, I'm like, but I know what he's saying is what he's saying is what, what we're saying is it's all here. Yeah. Like this, the whole thing is this all happening right now. 
Yeah. And it was just funny the way he said that. Cause I'm like, I wonder if there's other people here who are like more Christian, like in the traditional sense or like, Kevin, you're the pastor. Say something to him. Hell does exist. I'm like, no, I'm good. He's fine. Oh man. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a, that's a, a, that's a large conversation. I'm very wary of having that. The only reason I believe in something is because of something like, well, like a punishment in order for like, in order for me to be okay, there has to be people who aren't okay. Right. I'm very wary of a, a something that's built upon that. Absolutely. Because we always put our we always put ourselves on the side of like, well, you know, but I'm not that way. It's yeah. uh, those other people. It's like, and, and I, I think with with uh with, with what you're saying is there's the simplicity and like you know I think for the mystics and for the contemplatives and for the real knowers and lovers of God in the world one they're thinking about here and not after just naturally in their life and you're like if if things are okay here they're gonna be okay and i don't need to you know i it's just like i tell people like i just don't i don't think that much about it you know i just assume if we're okay now we're gonna there's this sort of there's a break but there's this continuity and flow of like if there's a there's just this radical okayness to things and i'm fine with that you know what yeah. i'm saying and i don't need yeah. anyone to be anywhere negatively i don't even need to think about that you know even yeah. with whatever degrees you have or things i've read of course you do all that stuff but you're like what, what, are we, what is happening this is all right here yeah i think i think there's a lot of aspects of life that just aren't up you're not in charge of this is the way i think about it like the only reason you and i and all of us listening right now are here is because of a heart that's beating that we're not in charge of like we only exist because of something we're not in charge of so <laughs> And I think just being really aware of that leads to going, what other things I'm not in charge of? I'm not, I can control my breathing, but I'm not in charge of my respiratory system in a lot of ways. I live on a planet that is perfectly aligned around a star that allows life to grow. I'm not in charge of that. Like so much of my life is by things I'm not in charge of. And if we take that to like our soul or our spiritual life, I'm very much interested in a life with God. That's like, I have agency. I can, I can devote myself to some, to something I love, but how much of, and, and this is what I learned as a spiritual director in my work as a spiritual director is to be like, is to, is to point to what is already happening already. Something that you weren't in charge of something that it wasn't your decision. What I have been discovering is that God it's not about like, like what my friend Justin McRoberts and I in our prayer book, we said this, it was that prayer isn't about getting God's attention. Prayer is about awakening to God's voice and work already in your life. Mm -hmm. This is what the examine is like. You go, where did I see moments of coming alive or hope or these kinds of things? So I would also say spirituality is not about getting God's attention. That's voodoo, you know, that's burning fires and running around, like pay attention to me a spiritual life is about awakening to the presence of God that's already in your life. And uh, when I have now shifted to that, you know, and I grew up real evangelical evangelistic, you know, like I come from a long family of missionaries and some of that narrative was like, I have to bring this to people who don't know. And there's some merits to that, I guess. You know, I'm not, I'm not poo-hooing the whole industry. Uh, but and I have this in Say Yes where I go, I I ask people, I say, right now where you're at, I'd like you to talk to God. Like, don't even, don't even say thing out loud. Just emote a conversation to God. How do you have the capacity to do that? S somehow you have this doorway, this portal. I like to use the meta metaphor of a telephone. You have a telephone to talk to God. Your spirit has an instantaneous connection to God. I have a telephone, you have a telephone, everybody has a telephone. In the history of religion, some people have had the audacity to go, we have to give people telephones, which is ridiculous because everybody already has a telephone. So what if then our, our work is to be alongside people and to go, hey, what are your phone calls like? Oh, you don't answer the phone? Why not? Or you can't, you, don't, you forgot where it is or you, you can't, you know, like stuff can get in the way I guess it's the whole, you know, and it's however you want to think of humanity. You guess you could think of like, we're, we're born lacking and we have to add to, or, 
we're born forgetting and we have to remember. Which one? Which one bears better fruit? <laughs> That's how I would judge it. I'm wanting, I, I, it's much, it's so much, God, it's so much more easy in the world if you don't think it's all up to you. <laughs> my, my role is just to be attentive to what already is in people and to call that out, call out the light, call out the faith, call out the, the worthiness, call out the dignity. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's good. You know, we, for whatever the reasons are, I've just like not asked any of the questions I prepared for this and feels like normally I'm like, all right, like timing of this, but I just felt so relaxed at the beginning of this. I was like, I'm just yeah. like, whatever this is. This is great, by the way. I'm yeah, like really enjoying it. I think the people will too. So if we have, we started at 10.05-ish, you know, let's, let's say this is, this will be the last question. This Great. is a, uh, you know, an artist, spiritual director, a person who cares about people, you know, whether or not you've ever been on staff at a church, you know, you, you, when you can feel and know that real pastoral sensibility of wanting to care for people and guide people, which is a great gift in this world, you know, which, you know, I'm sure people have recognized in you. With that said, this is the last, you know, this is the spiritual director, the pastoral moment for the people who are listening in. And I'll give you a chance to speak into their lives when I ask these questions. You know, when you're young-ish, let's just say in your 20s, or whenever a person's approaching that moment of, am I really going to go for it? Whatever hmm. it is, you know, hmm. am I going to do the thing that requires the great risk, that requires the crossing over the threshold of uncertainty, all those things that you know, can become barriers towards people, like we said, owning the fullness of their own incarnation, being fully themselves, right? There's risks involved in order to do that and, and allow your voice to be heard in the world. When people are at that stage of life, you know, for me, the question is like, are you going to begin? Are you going to hmm. take that risk? Are you going to leave that job if you need to? Are you going to walk away from that? Yeah. Now, as, as you know, after you, and after you do that, when you say yes to that, and you take those daring first steps, you'll travel far enough to see those def that defining question changes because you deal with heartbreak, you deal with betrayal, you witness relationships, and you, you watch seasons that you loved end. And those, those are hard, those are all losses, those are all forms of death, those are all things we need to learn how to grieve. And once you go through that enough, the defining question for allowing the fullness of our voice to continue is not are you going to begin? It's, are you going to begin again? Mm. And then again, mm. seven years later, and again, 10 years later, you know, I don't oh, man. Yep. moment of that, you know, uh -huh. as well. mm -hmm. so there's, you know, a person in twenties, they should be thirties. Are you going to begin? And there's a person who basically you get your ass kicked. That shit falls apart. You know, all those things. Right. And I know you're, you're, you're a say yes. There, there's an element of that too, that when dreams appear to die, what do you say to the, this will be the last word. What do you say to the, to the younger person, people you come across who are waiting to begin yeah. wrestling with those barriers. And then for the people who are more seasoned, you know, have got punched in the face by life, but are wrestling with whether or not they have what it takes to begin again and be born again and yeah. have the courage again and take the risk yeah. again. So yeah, I just think that'd be such a great way. Way to, to end it on an easy question. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is landing. This is you know landing the plane. The pastor just did this great thing, and now, like, now that I've said all that, here's for you, and here's for no. I have an answer, but I was just like, wow, wow, that's a complex question. How do you say it succinctly? I'm not supposed to give away all the secrets of the book, and I haven't. But the big reveal for me in this work. Specifically in translating it into a book, I was like, oh, wow, that's what's happening. And I had to go back and like change my show a bit because I was like, oh, that's a big revelation for me. What the death of a dream is. And a dream, let's define a dream because dream means like images in your head, desired things, whatever. Uh, the, the dictionary says a dream is your cherished desire which means you want something in the world. And I, and I would say that what we want isn't necessarily some like thing or object or place to be like a dream vacation. But what we want is to be the kind of person who has that thing, who can get that object. We want to, we want to believe that we could be worthy enough or be that kind of person we imagine ourselves to be. Um, 
why the dream is in the way to a deeper conversation about your life is because a dream is the imagined scenario version of yourself where you have no weaknesses. When we imagine a dream scenario, we don't, we don't imagine the vulnerabilities that are going to be there. When we imagine like crossing the finish line of a marathon, we don't ever really imagine or, you know, we don't, when we dream about that moment, we don't imagine that it might've taken like nine months of physical therapy to get our knees up to par because we're now in our forties and they don't work anymore. When we dream, we, we imagine our dream job or dream business. We don't imagine like the complicated relationship we have with our investors who help us front the capital, you know, because that's what it takes to start a business. Like there's actually no way to enter into your dreams because there's no way to be live a life without any vulnerabilities and vulnerabilities. Isn't necessarily your weaknesses or limitations. It's your relationship to those. Are you ashamed of having weaknesses and limitations? Are you uh, uh, scared of them? Because you can move into a life where you go, I'm actually okay with having weaknesses and limitations because I see that they are the way in which I connect to everything. I connect to myself. I connect to others. I connect to God. Even it's Jesus going, heaven doesn't need one person going, I got it all together. I don't need anything. Heaven celebrates when one person goes, have mercy on me. That's not a shame statement. It's not like I'm such a dirty, dirty sinner. Please don't strike me with lightning. That person's saying like, I'm not perfect. I hope, please, I can understand that my connection to you is through mercy or grace. It's not anything I'm doing. It's already given to me. Like, so if you're, if you're young and you're starting off, you know, it's almost dumb to tell you this at the beginning because you won't do it, but you think that the goal is to earn your identity through accomplishment and you'll work for you'll work for identity, but there will be this breakdown and this humbling. And this, the gift of that moment is that you begin to work from identity, that your identity is something much, much deeper than anything you could accomplish. If you, and then if you're on the other end and something has died or gone away in your life, well, the good news is that you're a resurrection. There's a cycle in life. We see it in nature. Maybe not so much in Hawaii or Texas. <laughs> somebody in Austin yeah, is like, somebody in Austin, there's like, there's two seasons, summer and not summer. That's, that's it. And, but you know, there are seasons of your life where you're flourishing and there's fruit. And then there's seasons where it seems like everything's falling apart. And then there's seasons where it feels like a dead winter and nothing's there. But as we see in nature, even in the deadest time, there's always something underneath slowly growing in a hidden way that eventually one day pops out. You are a resurrection. We all are. We all are participating in the season of death and renewal. And so I guess the real question is, well, what is the unforeseen, <laughs> unforeseen gift on the other side of this death? I would submit to you that it's the gift of a different perspective. It's a gift of being, it's not necessarily... Uh, well, I think the question is like, well, what can I do now that my dreams died? What does this allow me to do? How I approach my life, how I talk about things. Like I said before, obscurity was the gift I needed to get to the heart of what I wanted to do. It was when I had nothing that I said, well, this is how I would talk about things. This is what I want to do in the world. I needed to go through the death of all my options to get to the resurrection of what was already in there. So I, that's, that's, I think, I don't know what it's like to be later on in my life, you know, but I hope that these practices that I have now will still apply to them that I will go. What's the only conversation I can have by being here? <laughs> you know, like what does this allow me to do? I've learned this actually as an independent artist, because there are times when I had work and there'd be months where I didn't. And I would just go, I could either go, I'm not being successful because I don't have any work this month. Or I could go, wow, look at all this time I have. What's the thing I've always wanted to do <laughs> if I had time? Right. Well, I got time now. And then I'd work on this thing and then it would turn into something that was profitable or help progress my career. So I've learned like just because nothing's happening doesn't mean there isn't something that you want to do or a way you can contribute. So that, that would be my advice oh, is like, is so like, great. is learning to, 
that the pivot's going to be working for identity to working from identity and that you, you're a resurrection. You are what you are one who has died and you are still on the other side of that. And you can, the gift of resurrection is a new way of seeing everything. Yeah. I love whenever I hear something that's just said in a unique way or, you know, you've never heard it. Like just that's the power of reading and hearing new voices. And maybe I've just never seen you write. I've never heard anyone else say, but you're, your resurrection beautiful that's in the book that's a chapter tile that's your resurrection amazing Um, like in effect i mean it's a practice throughout our life and our our ultimate resurrection is only going to come through our ultimate death but we can practice the reality of resurrection throughout our life absolutely for another podcast yes scott (laughs) erickson find him on instagram at scott the painter his yep. new book, Say Yes, coming out January 25th. Pre-orders are always great. They're always oh, so helpful for writers. Yep. So our reviews on Amazon for people who want to support in unique ways, follow him, follow along his journey. If you're listening from a place, perhaps you'll be in a place where he's doing Say Yeses at some point this year, his shows and those. If this is a, a small glimpse, I can't even imagine what it would be like for people to experience that, for me to experience that in person. So check him out, follow him and be a sort of follow along his journey as much as possible. And, uh, man, I appreciate it. This was so good, man. I'm so glad we got a chance to do this. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Thanks for having me.